I wonder if we are aware that the call to be a Christian is a call to share in the shame and the reproach of the cross. And we have just sung that we want to gladly bear in that shame and in that reproach until the Lord calls us home or until the Lord returns back. Friends, what we're about to start today in our sermon series speaks of this tension. On one side of the hope that we share, look forward to the glories of eternity, but at the same time of the call that should the Lord allow, should the Lord call us and appoint for us a specific path of suffering, that we will gladly bear the shame and the reproach of the cross. This morning we are starting a new sermon series on Sunday mornings on the book of Revelation. One member this morning shared with me before the service and said something to the nature of, if it wasn't for those study notes in the study Bible, I think I would be crazy to death reading this book. It's so difficult to explain and understand. Revelation is not an easy book to get our, ourselves into. But by God's grace, we want to begin this book and uh, ask the Lord to help us discern its meaning Help us discern its message for us, not only for what it meant in the first century, not only what it means for the generation that will live at the time of the second coming of Christ, but also for the generations that are awaiting the second coming of Jesus. This morning, if you have your Bibles open, I encourage you to open your Bibles to the book of uh, Revelation chapter 1. We'll be reading just a few verses from the introduction and just a few verses from the conclusion. And the aim of this morning is to give us a broad overview Uh, of the message of the book of Revelation and how we might approach it. If you have your Bibles, let's open to Revelation 1, verse 1. The Word of God says the following, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the Word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. We will continue the reading of God's Word. 
by turning to Revelation chapter 22. We'll pick up the reading in verse 6. Revelation 22, verse 6. love to hear the noise of the pages of the Bible being turned. It's a wonderful noise in the congregation. The Word of God continues on and says, And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer do, still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the morning star. The spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty, Come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. This is the word of God. Would you pray with me, asking God to bless the reading and the preaching of his word? Father, we pray that as you have revealed great and deep truths about your plans. As we have received the testimony of Jesus in the book of Revelation, we pray that our hearts might be open and our heart, that our minds might be given the illumination of your Holy Spirit to understand the mysteries of what you have revealed to us. And give us hearts, O oh Lord, to be willing to respond and obey so that indeed we may be ready for your coming. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The sermon this morning is going to be different than any other sermon in this book, in the series, because we are aiming to have an overview of the book of Revelation. 
And I have two aims this morning uh, for us. First of all, how should we approach the book of Revelation? And then what is this book about? How should we approach the book of Revelation? And what is this book about? And my hope is that both of these aims would would prepare our hearts and our minds as we begin uh, our study of the book of Revelation. How should we approach the book of Revelation? This is the first point. Uh, People often approach the book of Revelation with some level of anxiety and intimidation. Even preachers who have gone to seminary uh, experience this particular feeling. Uh, Many might be open to preach through the first three chapters of Revelation, and perhaps even through the first five chapters of the book, but then would skip to preaching the rest of the book. Uh, What are some of the reasons why people are intimidated about Revelation? Well, first of all, because it's a hard book to interpret because of its symbolism and because of the visions that seem to be out of this world. It's hard to discern what is literal language and what is symbolic language. It is hard to know know and how to make sense of the visions, visions of dragons with seven heads, visions of beasts, Are these visions referring to actual figures of history? Are these merely idealistic pictures? Are these mythological stories that were common in the ancient world? Do these visions in the story uh, refer simply to the ways of describing the Roman Empire, uh, as many liberal scholars would uh, lead us to believe that all it refers to is to, to the Roman Empire in the first century? Or do these visions tell us about the future events of how God will bring the world to the end? And then there's many other reasons why people feel intimidated. Uh, It's a hard book because people have differences in how they understand the details prior to the second coming of Christ. Usually any discussion about the end times uh, makes people feel at the very least uncomfortable uh, or uncertain or worse divisive. Strong Bible-believing Christians take different views about the end times. Some are what is called dispensational premillennialists who believe that the rapture will happen before the great tribulation of the church. Others are historic premillennialists who believe that the rapture will come after the great tribulation. Others are amillennialists who do not believe that the millennium refers to a literal time of uh, a literal thousand years of Christ reigning on earth. So some Christians get quite excited, uh, interested, and others even divisive over these issues. So therefore, approaching the book of Revelation feels like it's better not to get into it uh, than get lost or or be be trapped in some wrong interpretations. While it's easy to give into a feeling of anxiety, of intimidation, and fear, I want us to challenge... I want to challenge us to consider the book of Revelation uh, with different attitudes than anxiety or intimidation. I want to suggest to you that we approach the book of Revelation with four attitudes. First, with humility. Humility because, um, first of all, humility is a better alternative than anxiety or intimidation. Humility will help us to navigate through this complex revelation of visions Uh, recognizing there are multiple interpretations, 
recognizing that we may not have the definitive word on it, and yet the message, despite the various interpretations of these visions, the message of the book of Revelation is a pretty clear message. My hope is that as we capture the main message of this book, that we adopt a humble posture of students who want to learn and are open to hear what God has to say through a language, through a, through a means of communication that is foreign to us, the apocalyptic literature. Uh, the second way we should approach the book of Revelation, not only with, it, with humility, but with enthusiasm. We should approach Revelation with enthusiasm. Here are some reasons why we should approach the book with enthusiasm. Did you hear how the book started? It started with promises of blessedness. Did you hear how the book ended? It ended with promises of blessedness. One of the reasons why believers love the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached in Matthew 5 is because it starts with the Beatitudes. Did you know that the book of Revelation has seven Beatitudes? Seven blessedness. Seven statements of who is blessed. We read three of them in the first eight verses and in the last uh, 10, 12 verses of the book. But the, the blessedness that is repeated in the introduction and the ending of the book is, is the blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. Revelation 22, 7. And behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed, blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Did you hear who is blessed? Those who read it out loud. Those who hear it read. And those who keep it. Well, how would you keep the book if you don't read what's in it? If you don't know what is in it? How will we be blessed if we're actually not getting ourselves into the book? Blessed are not only those who know what the book of Revelation says. Blessed are those who keep it. Friends, the book of Revelation is not written merely to fill a gap in our information chart. The book of Revelation is to stir us to obedience and to faithfulness to Christ as the kingdom of God is drawing nearer and nearer to its final consummation. But how can we keep the words of this book? If we allow fear and intimidation and anxiety to keep us away from it. It's amazing that these words written in this book are testified by Jesus himself. Jesus himself says when he, he declares, the one who testifies to these things says, I am coming soon. In other words, Jesus describes himself, I am, I'm the one who's testifying to these things for the church. Why would we feel intimidated, anxious, fearful, or somehow keep away from this book that Jesus takes such a clear stance on to say, I am testifying to these things for you. Blessed are those who read, hear, and keep the words of this prophecy. That's why, dear friends, we should approach the book of Revelation with enthusiasm. There is a blessing for us in store as we approach this book. We should approach it with enthusiasm because it tells us that the God who is sovereign over all creation is a God who is coming to be with His people. The first time God addresses us directly in this book is in chapter 1, verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. 
we can approach the book of Revelation with, this, with enthusiasm because it's preparing His people. It's preparing us for the coming of God to be with His people. A third way we should approach the book of Revelation is with attentiveness. Attentiveness for our present lives with Christ. Revelation, dear friends, is concerned not merely with the future, but also with the present. How Christians live their lives uh, within the kingdom of this world, even though they are citizens of another kingdom. This means that we should not read Revelation merely to satisfy our curiosity for the future, but to encourage to persevere in faithfulness in the present. Revelation is written to exhort believers how they can live in the present time, facing challenges and trials. Believers are called in the book of Revelation to be faithful, to be overcomers. Here's how how some interpreters of of, of the book of Revelation describe the book of Revelation. Knowing how history ends helps us to understand how we are to fit in it now. How, knowing how it ends... The book of Revelation helps us understand how we are to fit in it now. And they go on to say, As the letters to the seven churches in chapter 2 and 3 reveal, not all the Christians to whom John writes were faithful. There is a conflict in Revelation, not only between the church and the world, but also within the church. I love how one of the interpreters uh, described the, the book of Revelation this way. Traditionally, Scholars have viewed Revelation as addressing oppressed Christians facing persecution from the mighty Roman state. Today, many emphasize instead that the book addressed complacent, spiritually anemic Christians. In fact, when one examines a letter to the seven churches, one finds both situations coexisting in different places. Revelation speaks to churches both alive and dead. But more of the churches are in the danger of compromising with the world than of dying from it. This makes the book relevant for North American Christianity today. I thought that was a very helpful reminder. Yes, we see in the book of Revelation the danger of persecution. Yes, the book of Revelation will address Christians who will face severe pressure, trials and tribulations and persecution from the society around him. But this interpreter was so spot on to observe that the book of Revelation shows that more Christians are in danger of compromising with the world than of dying from it. And we need to hear that message. Do we need something to help us fight off tendencies for an anemic Christianity here in the West? Do we need something to jumpstart us from our our sleepiness, read the book of Revelation. It will remind us that Christ is worth dying for. Jesus is concerned. We need to read this book of Revelation, approach it with an attitude of attentiveness, because Jesus is concerned not merely with individual Christians, but with the experience of the churches. Talk about attentiveness, not only at an individual level, but also at a corporate level. Jesus is actually presenting himself in in the book of Revelation as as sitting in the midst of the churches. The book of Revelation certainly presents information about the future, but it's not merely about the future. It describes Jesus holding in his hands, in the present, 
the life, the destiny, the dynamics of each of the local churches described and identified in the book of Revelation. Friends, we should read this book with attentiveness because we hear uh, in it that Christ is in the midst of the life of the churches, even now. Fourth way to approach the book of Revelation, with expectation to worship. With expectation to worship. No other book in the New Testament has so many hymns included in it as the book of Revelation. Here we are told not only of what will happen in the future, but we get to hear the lyrics of the songs that are being sung in heaven. It's as if we are given a little window into the worship service in heaven that is going on and on and on. And we get to hear what those saints, what the angels, what the seraphim are singing as they worship God. And as the the future events of revealed in this book are unfolding, we're not only told what the future events are, we're often told how heaven responds to the events on the earth. This book is guided and is, it's, it's meant to guide us, to lead us into worship. Worship of the true God. This book is trying to call us to turn away from, from being tempted uh, to assimilate into worshiping the beast and worship God instead. The Apostle John, at one point, actually twice, is tempted to worship the angel who gave him the revelation. And the angel twice rebukes him and says, don't worship me, worship God. This book will invite us, will draw us in to worship God. So approach the book of Revelation with an expectation to increase your worship of God. Revelation presents the dwellers of the earth as belonging only to two categories. They're either worshipers of God or worshipers of the beast and the dragon. There's no atheists in the book of Revelation. There's no agnostics in the book of Revelation. Not because there aren't any in this world. Oh, there are many. But all of them are categorized, are put in, in the camp of those who do not worship God. In the book of Revelation... Uh, everyone worships something. Even those who worship nothing are still worshiping something. And the revelation pulls out the curtain to show that people cannot stand in a neutral position. We're either worshipers of God or worshipers of the world that is deceived by the beast. In Revelation, the call to worship God defines the content of the eternal gospel. Everyone worships something. Revelation will pose us the question and will challenge us to consider who are we truly worshiping. So these are four ways why, how we can approach the book of Revelation with humility, with enthusiasm, with attentiveness, and with expectation to worship God. But what is Revelation about? What is Revelation about? Now, when we think about trying to understand what a book is about, there's a few strategies we should do, we should use to help us gain an understanding what a book is about. Read the introduction and read the conclusion very carefully. This is what we did this morning. We started our, our sermon with reading those parts of the book. But also, read the whole book. Read it. If you can, read it in one sitting. I encourage you folks, this week, if you have an hour and a half to two hours, instead of watching a movie 
or uh, instead of watching something on, on Facebook, you know, your Facebook sessions typically last about at least 30 minutes. Um, if you put a few sessions of Facebook uh, out of your schedule and just give yourself time to read the book of Revelation in one sitting, try to read it from cover to cover. We want to understand what this book not only contains in terms of how it builds up, but we also, in order to understand what this book is about, we must understand what type of literature it is. It's a little different than all the other literatures uh, that we have in the Bible, um, particularly because it's an apocalyptic literature. The book of Revelation, we can understand it when we recognize uh, that it's a particular type of writing that we no longer have these days. If I gave you a piece of poetry, would you know how to read poetry? If I gave you a piece of, uh, of prose, of a story, would you know how to read a story? If I gave you a piece of a newspaper, uh, would you know how to read that newspaper? And if, if, if I changed those, you would easily know the difference. Oh, I'm reading poetry. I'm reading a, a comic section. I'm reading a story here. You, you know how to interpret because you recognize the characteristics of that literature. Well, the book of Revelation is a different kind of literature that we are not familiar with. It has elements in it that we don't see in our day-to-day readings. Uh, Here's some characteristics about apocalyptic literature that we must uh, be aware of. Apocalyptic literature often communicates truth through extensive use of symbolism, through visions that are often given by angels and sometimes even interpreted by angels, through events that relate uh, and speak about the age, the end of the age, and then through unveiling the spiritual world uh, that lies behind the earthly world so that we get to see what's going on in the spiritual realm beyond what we see here in our physical world. So we, as we read the book of Revelation, we must be aware of these of these characteristics. There are others as well, but these are this is a starting point to recognize that uh, that that then we need to read Revelation in this with this lens of symbolism and visions and the spiritual world that is torn apart uh, before us, so that we get to see what's happening beyond what the eye meets. But the Book of Revelation is also a prophecy. It's not only a an apocalyptic literature; it's also a prophecy. Did you hear in both in chapter 1 and chapter 22 how the blessedness is to those who read the words of this prophecy? Not just the words of this apocalyptic literature, but the words of this prophecy. It's apocalyptic, but it's also a prophetic word. That means that we should read the book of, of, of Revelation with a background of the prophetic books in the Old Testament. Books like Isaiah books like Daniel, books like Ezekiel. The reason why we read earlier in the service a portion from the book of Daniel is because it helps us see and prepare us for some big concepts that that are ultimately fulfilled in the book of Revelation. Uh, The the theme of of the Exodus story will play a great deal in understanding the book of Revelation as well. So if you want to grow and equip yourself for understanding the book of Revelation, read the Old Testament. Read the Old Testament. The book of Revelation is filled with language, with images from the Old Testament. Now, here's a quick overview of the book. We want to do a quick overview. We will not be able to read the whole book uh, this morning together, although it is likely, and a lot of interpreters believe that the book of Revelation was written to be read in a worship service. 
Can you just imagine coming to church and the reading of God's Word would include 22 chapters? It's possible that this is what was going on as the churches in the ancient world, the seven churches, received this letter. So here's, we're not going to read all the 22 chapters in the service, but I want to do a quick overview, and it'll be a very quick overview. John gets a vision in chapter 1 of the exalted Jesus, and we're told that Jesus commissioned John to write this book and send it to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And each of these churches gets not just a letter, but gets a personalized message that is included in this letter to the book of the letter of, of Revelation. We see these personalized messages in chapters 2 and 3. Once the seven messages are written and declared that Jesus customizes for each church, um, Christ calls John to come up into heaven into a vision where he receives visions of what is about to come. The visions that, God, that John is about to receive have a very significant starting point. John is taken immediately to the throne room of God in heaven. This is significant. Chapters 4 and 5 describe how, what John sees in the throne room of God in heaven. Before John gets to hear the things that will take place, he first must hear and see who is in charge, who is in control, who is sitting on the throne in heaven, who unfolds the history of mankind. Thrones are a symbol of power and authority. If you have a throne, you have a kingdom. The word for thrones appears 47 times in the book of Revelation. Who is seated on this heavenly throne? Chapter 4 tells us that God is seated on his throne. But chapter 5 tells us that someone else is seated on this throne as well. Who could be on the throne of God? Who else besides God could be on the throne of God? It's Jesus. And he appears as a lamb slaughtered. This is significant. Jesus is described in the book of Revelation with phrases and images that were describing God in the Old Testament. And John sees a picture of Jesus, but, but it's more than just who's sitting on the throne. There's a little crisis in heaven. And when, when John sees what's going on, uh, he begins weeping and crying. What is he crying and weeping over? God had a scroll in his hand. And no one was found able no one was found with the credentials to have authority to open up the scroll that God held in his hand and John began to weep until he's told weep no more the lion from the tribe of Judah has conquered he and he alone and he exclusively has the right to open up the scroll John sees a picture of God on his throne, of Jesus on his throne, but more so that Jesus is the only one who has the authority to to take the scroll and open it to understand the mystery of God with creation, the mystery of God with bringing about his kingdom. So from chapter 6 to 16, from chapter 6 to 16, we are entering into a major part of the book that describes 21 plagues that are divided in three cycles of sevens. The seven seals with which that scroll was tight. As the seven seals are opened, they usher seven trumpets. And as the last trumpet is blown, we see the ushering or the coming of 
seven bowls full of the wrath of God. The seventh seal introduces the seven trumpets, and the seventh trumpet introduces the seven bowls. If you put all these three together, do the math, you have 21 plagues that are interconnected with one another. But there are a few important things that we need to know about these 21 plagues. We should not read them chronologically. The 21 plagues do not progress in a linear form. The three cycles of plagues um, actually have quite a bit of repetition, and there's also progression as well. For example, in each of the three cycles, the seventh element, the seventh element in the three cycles, uh, refers to the events at the very end of the age, at the coming of Christ. Uh, this does not mean that the and each of the each of the seventh elements are repeated three times. This, does this mean that the, the world is coming to an end three times? No. It's coming to an end only once, but the book of Revelation describes it from three different angles. And yet every time it describes it, there's also progression. So don't think of the 21 plagues as linear. There's repetition, but there's also progression. Some of the plagues affect only a fraction of the earth. As the plagues progress, the fraction increases and it reaches full full impact on the whole earth. Here's how one interpreter uh, described the seals, the trumpets, and the bulls. The seals allow the scroll to be opened and in the process anticipate its content. The trumpets announce that divine retribution, or divine wrath, has arrived. The bulls are the pouring out of God's wrath. So when we look at the 21 plagues, think of them as pointing to the, to the one ultimate reality, but it's doing so through repetition and through progression. In the 21 plagues, we have three interludes. So three cycles of seven plagues and three interludes. The interludes are like pauses in this progression of, of presentations. And the interludes give us visions that explain what is going on. The, the visions give us, if you will, like, like footnotes. Uh, and these footnotes are very long and very significant. Uh, so what, one of the reasons why it's hard to read the middle section of the book of Revelation is because we lose sight of, 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 of the seals, the, the, the trumpets, the bulls, and then these visions. And how, how do you put them all together? It's helpful to think of them as 21 plagues divided in three. And there's three intervals of pauses, of visions that explain what is going on. After the 21 plagues are done, the book of Revelation continues with a contrast of two kingdoms. The kingdom of what's described as Babylon the Great and the kingdom of the new creation. Surprisingly, and in a brilliant way, both of these kingdoms are personified as women. So what we see from chapter 17 to chapter 21 is really a contrast of women that are resembling two kingdoms. And the two women that are setting setting contrast at the end of Revelation is a prostitute, the great Babylon, and a bride, the new Jerusalem. Nothing could be more emotionally provoking to the Christians of the first century than to hear that the world they lived in, 
The world in which they worked and did their economic transactions is associated with a prostitute, Babylon the Great. Revelation 17 and 18 reveal how God will judge and destroy the great kingdoms of the earth that continue to corrupt the earth against God. In, chapters, in chapter 21, we see the coming of, of another kingdom, of another city, personified by another woman, the bride. And in between these two images of the prostitute and the bride, we read that Christ will appear as a warrior king who will execute the wrath of God and defeat all God's enemies and invite his people to the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's amazing the book of Revelation, as it draws near, it draws us with an invitation to a wedding. Will this wedding make sense when you see yourself as, as following either a prostitute or a bride? Are you part of... Of, the, of, of those who are belonging to the prostitute or those who are belonging to the bride of Christ. The book of Revelation invites us to a wedding. But the coming of the conquering king will also bring an end to all evil, to all rebellion, to all idolaters. In chapter 22, the book ends with a final exhortation to God's people. These exhortations include not only promises, but also instructions how to live in the present. Warnings not to temper with the words of this book. And the book closes with Jesus' own words as testifying in this book and promising that he is coming soon. So as we consider the broad plot line of the book of Revelation, we, divided, we can divide it in these four main parts. The vision of Christ leading to the seven churches, to the messages of the seven churches. The vision of God's throne in heaven that starts the 21 plagues. And then the contrast with the two, between the two women, a prostitute and a bride. After we're looking at the, the, the plot line of the book of Revelation, let's bring it down to, so, so really, what is the book of Revelation about? You've told us what it contains. You've told us what kind of book it is. But can you summarize it? Can, can, we, can you bring it down for me? Here's some ways to bring down the book of Revelation in a simple mess, summary statement. Actually, be a few summary statements. This was one of the hardest things to do in preparation for this message. How do you bring the whole book of Revelation in, in a simple summary statement? One, one interpreter had 11 points as he summarized the book of Revelation. I will not do that to you this morning. But here's, here's some, some helpful quotes and, and summaries uh, that I think capture what the book of Revelation is about. Here's what one interpreter said. The whole book of Revelation could be regarded as a vision of the fulfillment of the first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer. Your name be hallowed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In some way, this is indeed what the book of Revelation is about. He goes on to say the role of Christ in the, Reve- in the book of Revelation is to establish God's kingdom on earth. Clearly, God is a grand theme of the book of Revelation. The very first song we hear sung in the book of Revelation is addressed to God in chapter 4, verse 8. Holy, holy, holy. Yet Revelation is not merely telling us about God's power and sovereignty, but it's telling us about God's commitment to bring His kingdom on earth through the work of His Son, Jesus. Revelation tells us that God is bringing the consummation of His kingdom by slowly crushing the idols of our world and by bringing his plagues upon a rebellious creation 
just as God did against Egypt when God redeemed his people out of Egypt. The plagues were part of God's redemption story. Just like in the story of Exodus, you don't have salvation without judgment. In the book of Revelation, you don't have salvation without judgment. Actually, that is a big framework of the entire Bible. Salvation and judgment are two sides of the same coin. Here's how my professor, my advisor, Dr. Paul Hoskins, who has influenced me quite a bit in how I approach the book of Revelation, here's how he described and summarized the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is able to communicate a powerful message that resonates across the centuries. That is because John writes about a conflict between two kingdoms that predates the coming of Jesus. It stretches back to the story of Adam and Eve and reaches its climax in the cross. Friends, there's no surprise in the book of Revelation. We, at the end of it, we meet again with a tree. The tree of life. You remember when we were first introduced to that tree? In Genesis 3. We're going to read in one of the most significant interludes in the book of Revelation, in chapter 12 and 13, we're going to read about the cosmic conflict that exists between God and the dragon. And that conflict points back to Genesis 3, to the curse between the, the woman and her offspring and, and Satan and the serpent. The book of Revelation is, an, is a playing out of the conflict between God and Satan and between the offspring of the woman whom God has promised to put an enmity between her offspring and the serpent. The book of Revelation is an outflow of that conflict. The death of Christ, His resurrection, His exaltation, mark the beginning of the end. For the last 2,000 years, dear friends, we've been living in the end times. The end times are not simply related to the events that are preceding immediately the second coming of Jesus. The New Testament presents the end times as having begun with the first coming of Christ. The, his death, his resurrection, and his exaltation is the reason and is associated with, its, with Satan's exalt, uh, being cast out of heaven and coming down to earth. We'll see that in Revelation 12. Friends, we are not supposed to ask, when will these things in Revelation start happening? The, the answer is they have started happening already. We are already living part of these plagues, although the most intense of these are still coming in the future. Revelation is written not only to tell us who is winning at the end. I've heard someone say, and, it's, and it's, a, it's a good answer, but it's an incomplete answer. If you want to know what Revelation is about, it's simply this. You get to hear who wins at the end. It's a good answer, but it's a, it's a terribly simplistic answer. And if, if we're left there, we are left hanging. So what does that do with you and I? A more complete answer would be to say, not only do we get to hear who's winning at the end, but the book of Revelation tells us what it means to be on the winning side. The book of Revelation wants to describe to us not only the victory of Christ, but also the victory of his followers. Yes, in the cross of Christ, Jesus won the battle against the ancient serpent. But the war is not yet over. The dragon is coming after the followers of Christ. Satan, even though he has been conquered, he has not been yet thrown into his eternal punishment. He is now furious, raging against the followers of Christ. 
And we are living in the interim stage of history between the defeat of Satan and the eternal destruction of Satan. The conflict between the two kingdoms continues to go on. No wonder that each of the seven churches, um, the letters to the seven churches were concluded with a promise given to him who conquers. If we want to approach the book of Revelation correctly, we must do so not simply to satisfy our curiosity for the future, but to equip us for the battle that we are a part of in the present. It is a book written to churches to equip them not to take sides with a losing kingdom of the beast, but to be among the conquerors and to be so even at the cost of their lives. Living faithfully means not merely acknowledging King Jesus, but not compromising with the worship of the beast. It means being faithful not merely at the beginning of the Christian life, but being faithful to the very end, even unto death. So when we ask the question, what is Revelation about? It's about the conflict of two kingdoms. It tells us who's winning in the end, and it instructs us what it means to live in the present on the winning side. It is this conflict of the two kingdoms, dear friends, that helps us to understand the seven letters to the seven churches. It is this, uh, letter, this conflict of the two kingdoms that helps us understand our place in the book of Revelation and the place of the book of Revelation in our own lives. The life of the churches in the seven letters reflect their stance in the conflict between the two kingdoms. Church life is kingdom life. We pursue health in church not merely so that we can grow, although we want to grow. We pursue health as churches in, in, in our life as a church because we want to be faithful so that we can put on display on which side, which side we take, on which side we are in the conflict between the two kingdoms. So how should we approach the book of Revelation? Approach it with humility. Approach it with enthusiasm. Approach it with attentiveness. Approach it with expectation to worship. What is the book of Revelation about? It's about the conflict of two kingdoms. Who is the winner in this conflict? And what does it look to live on the winning side, even at the cost of death? Let's close in prayer. Father, you have reveal to us the great mysteries of your will, of your plans to bring about your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Father, as we begin our study through the book of Revelation, Father, we pray that you prepare our hearts and our minds. Prepare our hearts to be attentive. Prepare our hearts to be humble. Prepare our hearts to be enthusiastic about the the blessings you promise for those who, who read it, who hear it, and who live it. We pray that you would do all this so that our hearts and lives and minds and beings might be ready and committed to worship Christ and to worship God. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.